Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Hello, hello. I hope you're creating a beautiful day today wherever you are tuning in from. I am so excited to share this episode with you. Before we get going, I have a few announcements. Tickets are flying for Matriarch Rising Festival. I know June might feel really far away uh, for some of you, but if you want to come, Grab your tickets soon because it is looking like it will sell out quicker this year than ever before, and I don't want you to miss out. You can check out the lineup as we have it so far and get all of the info at matriarchrisingfestival.com. But really what I want to say right now is just for a moment, imagine a place where free birthers, sovereign birth attendants, herbalists, wise women serving beyond the medical system are all gathering Armpit hair galore, women dancing naked in the sunshine, all on private, gorgeous land, being served delicious food for five nights under the full moon on summer solstice. I mean, it's literally better than I can describe. So come into my dream world and gift yourself a deeply replenishing heart and mind expander touch point for your whole year. Oh, and before I forget, this is our first year accepting sponsorships with brands to work with MRF. So if you have a brand you want to get in front of the coolest group of women and mothers around, contact us at partnerships at matriarchrisingfestival.com and we can send you the info. Okay, so we also recently opened doors for our annual program, the Blood Mystery School. And uh, what can I even say about this school? It is an experience unlike anything else out there. It's been described as the warm cave of wise women, inviting you into a guided 16 weeks of self-healing and self-reclamation so that you can serve in your highest potential. You already know that you're meant to do this work, and yes, you can do it professionally, so go learn all about it on our curriculum page, listen to the previous students, and grab your spot, bloodmysteryschool.com. Oh, and I've been meaning to mention on here that if you have a free birth video that you'd be willing to donate, essentially, to our free birth YouTube channel, please submit it. The link is in the show notes below. We are so close to having enough free birth videos to open up our free birth channel to the public. 
So I'm really excited. I mean, imagine women from all over the world will be able to watch tons and tons of normal birth videos as their own free childbirth education and their children too. It's so important. So if you have a video to share, please send it on over and thank you. Help me spread the word, sisters. All right, I'll leave it there. Enjoy this episode. It's a really good one. So today on the show, I have the radiant mineral expert and free birther, of course, Margaret Berry, who shares her birth stories and her vast knowledge of minerals, including how it links to preeclampsia. After being diagnosed with pre-preeclampsia, yes, I said pre-pre, Margaret goes on to have a four-day hospital induction with her first baby. Margaret dove into self-study to understand what happened and now has a self-appointed PhD in preeclampsia. She lays out practical and simple advice on what to eat and how far off it all is from the mainstream advice. All right, enjoy. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here. So excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited too, because like I was just telling you, I asked my girlfriend, Ariel, who's like rocking the minerals conversation right now? Who's, who's, who's like kind of, yeah, in that world, because I wanted to have an episode on this season about minerals, which is, you know, largely what we're going to be getting into today. What are they? Why do we need them? What are the common, you know, myths and, and lies that we need to let go of as sovereign women? Where can we find these minerals? You know, I just want to get into all of it. Um, but what's so cute about you is that when Ariel said you, I got to check you out. She was like, oh, and also she free birthed. And yeah. that's just so so exciting to me and so fun to have, yeah. you know, both of those. So yeah, let's just pass it to you. Interesting mix. Yes. Uh -huh, sure. I love it. Well, that keeps happening. It happened with Noel. Um, yeah. These like women that I'm interested in what they're doing and their work in the world. And then I find out that they're also free birthers. It's so right. fun. They're also on that side. I feel like there's a, uh, I don't know. You start questioning one thing and right. like how things work and then it just kind of bleeds over into other areas. Totally. We're like, why, why do we do that that way? Let's not do that again. <laughs> and I mean, I have to say, like, I have, I have a lot of respect and, and let me say it this way. I have a lot of interest in learning from women in different areas of expertise who also choose free birth right? Because obviously it's a value of mine, but it really like shows that, that there's a lot of, uh, what's the congruency of mm -hmm. authenticity across the board, you know? Yes. Yes. For and sure. And taking responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's definitely been something that I had to learn, of course, after with my first birth, learning that, learning that lesson kind of the hard way. And then being like, we're not going to do, we're not going to go down that road again. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what is your work with minerals and then tie that into your first birth. Yeah. So I have been interested in 
and kind of moving within the realm of natural health, wellness, especially women's health and wellness in particular. Um, for quite a while in my late teens, I had some hormonal imbalances. I actually had a hypoth- hypothalamic amenorrhea where you don't have a cycle. I basically mm. was restricting myself to the degree that I didn't have a cycle for two years. Wait, um, restricting yourself, so- meaning starving yourself? Yeah. Basically to be healthy. Right. Um, And so again, I went to an endocrinologist and they're like, Oh, uh, I think you need to do a CT scan of your pituitary to, to check, to make sure. And of course I did. Right. And they're like, Oh, well, we don't know why. And then within (gasps) two months, (laughs) right. So yeah. Within two months of that, I, I was like 18, I was 17, 18. I got an herb book that I just found at a I think it was at a book sale and I was reading there about an herb. I believe it was Vitex Chaseberry. And I like, oh, hey, this might help also if I start nourishing myself better. This, I know this can help with progesterone and I know how important that is. Literally did that the month, a month later, I started my cycle back mm. and it never stopped. Basically it, you know, was regular after that. So I was like my, got thrown into that um, kind of autonomous, like, oh, actually there's things that. I could do and find out that this professional doctor mm-hmm. didn't really have the skill to understand, totally. um, even though it's so obvious. So um, I grew up on a farm. I'm oldest of eight kids. And um, I had always wanted to have a family of my own. So after I got married, it was only about a year or so that I became pregnant with my first child. And it's so funny how looking back, I mean, I see a lot of you know, I was very naive. I was thinking, oh, you know, there's a hospital and they have a birthing center with midwives. This is going to be great. You know, I just thought, oh, that's, this is going to be the best of both worlds. And I mean, to be fair, that's how they pitch it. Yes. It's very true. Yeah. That's how they sell it to you is like, oh, this is the best of both. And so I ended up, uh, working with them and really it was, I think about 20 weeks along that they started planting seeds of doubt in my mind. They started pointing things out that might be wrong, that we're not sure about. And it just like, I think I cried every day from like 20 weeks of pregnancy till when I had my daughter, like it was terrible experience. Um, they just were, you know, pathologizing things about me and I hate being in medical setting anyway. And I should have realized that, you know, I just don't like, being in that situation, in that type of environment where I feel very small. I feel like I'm not able to speak up, even though I could, I just wasn't ready for that yet. I was kind of thrown in the deep end of that. Um, And so when it was time for, you know, right around the time that I had her, it was an induction induction at 37 weeks because of literally one blood pressure reading that they took from me after I had been walking up the stairs to the place that I was supposed to get this done. And I was told, oh, well, we know you just walked up the stairs. Um, we we're not going to send that over to your, your care provider because we know you just, you know, we were supposed to send you a wheelchair and we didn't. That one reading, they, of course, they lied to me. They did send it to her and she, you know, panicked. Oh my goodness, we need to do an induction now. So that led to a four-day hospital stay. It literally felt like I was in prison because- You were. I, yeah, exactly. And I have photos of myself from that time and- because my blood pressure was like normal. Right. And they were telling me, Oh, you have preeclampsia, you know, your organs are failing. None of that was, none of that was true. And even the nurse who was filling up my, 
like my little pee jug that they had me peeing in to make sure that I was producing enough urine and my kidneys weren't failing. One pee was filling the whole thing up. And she looked at me, she goes, wait, like looking at her notes, like, are you the, you're the preeclampsia? You're the super sick, uh, like this doesn't track. Super sick woman who's on the verge of death, you know? (laughs) God. This is so dumb. So uh, I ended up having the induction, like they kept me, you know, on watch for four days. And it was terrible because they did make it, make it seem like, oh, you can leave, but you wouldn't do that, would you? You know, that kind of. You can leave if you and your baby want to (laughs) die. Exactly. And they actually flat out. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. And they flat out told me prior to that, because I hated being in the doctor's office so much. And if it was a doctor in the room taking my blood pressure, it would be higher than when they were Obviously. Yeah. They told me, oh, well, you and your baby like are going to have serious complications. You don't take this blood pressure medication. I was like, that is bogus. I know I don't need that. Um, so anyway, they're wow. just spinning this web. And then I later realized if this was even like two years ago, I was due uh, December 26th, technically. And I had this thought, because it was about three weeks early, I had this thought, is this also a, oh, it's holiday season, let's go ahead and try to get, you know, some of these people out of our, uh, out of our, of course, <laughs> in the time. It's but- not even like a, a question, like, yes, yeah. that's, yeah. that's like, yes, that's what they do. That is yeah. absolutely a part of the end of the year. Yes. And so I literally just hit me. It was even two years ago. I was like, oh my gosh, that's actually part of it as well is that they didn't want to have to deal with me. So anyway, they did the induction eventually after four days of being there. It was terrible. Um, The first day, of course, you know, Pitocin, right? First day did absolutely nothing. And I, that end of the day, I was so defeated because I was like, I feel like this baby is not ready to come out right now. Like, I just don't feel like she's ready. I don't feel like I'm ill, but again, it's your first child. I had no idea the context of that. I didn't understand about also blood pressure, preeclampsia and minerals, which I went to major get my uh, unofficial self given PhD in that of that subject. Like I dove deep into that to try to understand like, what are some of the reasons for this that are not um, given by the medical you know, the medical complex. So I actually went on for my, you know, my second birth to study that and understand, no, I did not have that. I did not have a problem. We were just trying to, you know, control the outcomes to their, you know, their ability. Um, so money, money, money. Yeah, exactly. And the money. Oh my word, that hospital stay, Mm -hmm. the expense of of that. A four day induction. Yeah. It was, it was astronomical. So on, can we, can the title of your episode be like, <laughs> Margaret gives herself a PhD <laughs> like yeah. about honorary PhD. I and- love it. I love it. You should just introduce yourself as a PhD in minerals. And they're I, like, oh, yeah. you study? you're like, because yeah. it really made me so passionate about this because yeah. I've been writing me all the time. Hey, they're threatening to do this. I'm like, okay, here's the three diagnostic criteria for this. If you don't have those then you need to get a second opinion. You need to just go home and relax. You Except need to be even on those three, there is no firm, as you know, if you exactly. have a PhD in preeclampsia, yeah. there is no, it, it's, it's, it's like COVID. It's like a set of symptoms yep. that might present preeclampsia. Exactly. And even with like their gold standard, you know, the urine out, oh, if you have this much protein urine in 24 hours, well, guess what? If you have zero baseline for that, you right. have no idea what's going on for you. You don't 
nothing. And then the blood pressure is so variable that it's like that, you know, anyway, it's just, it's insane to me how they will hold that over people's head. Oh, you know, well, we're just going to go ahead and send you down for an induction. Um, well, it's, it's brilliant. It's a yeah. brilliant strategy because, because preeclampsia is so unclear and also real preeclampsia is so well, eclampsia is, is yeah. so serious and potentially life-threatening and all of that, or is life-threatening. Yep. Yes. It's, it's the dead baby card. You know, it's the, it's the card. Like if you throw that, what woman is go- going to, without a PhD in preeclampsia, you know, cause she has two hours to figure this out, right. When they suggest an induction, what woman has the knowledge and wherewithal to say, no, thank you. When they're throwing such a serious diagnosis your way. And then to go a step further, if you are super knowledgeable, you ain't birthing in the hospital. Right. 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 (laughs) You know, like no one's diagnosing you with preeclampsia if you know a lot about it. Exactly. So it was just mind boggling to me looking back. And that's what was the impetus for me to start studying it more because I was like, this, this doesn't make sense. Like this really doesn't. And again, they throw that at you because like the eclampsia and the pre, there's a big difference there too. And so many women fit the, oh, you're in the pre category. And for me, they're like, you're in the pre pre category. Pre pre. Oh my God. It's like, it's like you're pre COVID. Have you heard people saying that? Yes, I have. You're yes. pre <laughs> and I'm like alive. I'm like, what? Yeah. So it is, but literally that, like that comparison to COVID, it is very interesting because there is is similarities. There's those similarities. I am, I am (laughs) pre-tired. Yes. (laughs) I'm pre-hungry. Like pre-hungry because I, I already ate. So I am now full and therefore I am (laughs) pre-hungry. It's 1030 and I'm already pre-tired. I'm looking forward to you know, just clarity when, you know, my baby goes pre pre. So you actually got called pre pre eclampsia. He literally described it to me. My God. Yes. And I, I, again, looking back, I'm like, this is, this is the, the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Like literally. So all this is going on. They're tracking, they're tracking my urine, they're running my labs. And I knew enough about labs at that point, which I am trained in them. I knew enough about them to, understand from there, at least I was like, there's nothing glaring on here either. But yet I didn't, I was like, okay, we're just going to go with it. My husband, the same way he, and he actually looking back, he said he felt helpless because he wanted to just pull me out of there. But he also was in this phase of of like, I'm not sure, like, this is our first baby. I don't know what to expect and all that. Um, so on that day that the induction finally worked, and this is this is a, the crux of this that then kind of bleeds over into postpartum, was that they had been doing pitocin again, crank it up, crank it up the highest notch it could go, and I was only like three centimeter, centimeters when they checked, right? And so midwife's like, well, this is your first baby. It's going to be a long time. So I'm going to go across the street and, you know, do some admin things, and I'll come back later tonight. You know, this is maybe... 1130. She's like, I'll come back over, you know, like 630 tonight and see how things are going. Right. So I'm like being rocked by these contractions that are literally, I feel like a train is going through me in a very bad way. Uh, and so about 30 minutes later, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't, you know, I started doing that. Of course they offer the epidural. Right. So I'm like, 
it's going to be another six hours. And she planted that in my brain. It's going to be another six hours. I'm not going to be able to do this. So I was like, yes, let's do that. Let's go ahead and do that. And I actually remember because the, the anesthetist came in and I was sitting there, you know, you have to stand It's perfectly still. It's torture. You have to sit perfectly still. And I was holding on to my husband. And I remember distinctly um, feeling like an intense amount of pressure. I started saying, I can't do this anymore. Right. So we know like that's kind of a, oh, you're getting close. No one ever checked me to like see the phase I was in. So he literally has a needle in. He's putting it in. He's administering it. I am having to sit still, having to be quiet during this time, which is most likely that transitional phase. So I'm like huddled over like this, the trauma of that. I'm sitting there and they're telling me, you don't know, you know, you don't know anything. This is your first baby, blah, blah, blah. So they end up, um, he puts it in. And then I, right as he's taking it out and finishing up, patched it up. I'm like, I need, I feel rectal pressure. I need to poop. And the whole room just froze for a second. And then just everybody started like, oh my gosh, the baby cart, the this, the that. I literally had a head. So I looked down and I'm like, oh my gosh, the baby's head's coming out. So again, they get me on my, the epidural kicks in probably on the next to last push. And it just barely starts to kick in. So I'm sitting there like, this is the dumbest thing. So y'all gave me this. And then my, my midwife, who was across the street from the hospital, um, I actually had this one OB come in who was going to deliver because she was across the street at the hospital, right? And she was like, oh, you know, you're you're not going to make, you're, you're going to be a long time. Well, I went from probably about, a, probably a three to complete in, yeah, estimated, right? maybe in like 30 minutes or less. Like I just went, like it just went to town on the dilation. Um, and she just was not expecting that. So this OB that I didn't like came in. If, if you were even really a three, like nothing is yeah. true. Exactly. Cause like, even with my, um, with my second birth where I just, I wasn't touched or nothing, you know, I was never checked at, like at all ever, ever. Like I didn't want right. that. I would never consent to that now knowing the things I know in labor too. I'm like, this doesn't even like, it literally doesn't even matter. So it was just like, I went so fast. And then the, my midwife just comes in like hair going great. Like she just like runs in from across the street She's able to deliver um, the baby. And of course she's, you know, she's small. She's like six, well, for me, she's small. She's like six, eight, six pounds, eight. And the worst part of that whole thing was that I was numb after that, right? Couldn't move for two or three hours. I had her on me. They said, oh, she's really cold. We need to put her in the warmer, right? So I'm like incapacitated. She's over there on the warmer. And I, I just, I like think back on that. I actually had to process some of that because the trauma of like, I want my baby. I can't get to her, but she is over there and I'm over here. Like it, that was really hard for me. So just sitting there. I mean, really, let's just, let's just take a pause there because this is a very big deal. Like this is something that isn't talked about enough around epidurals, what you just articulated the, that the primal instinct and, and, um, it's beyond instinct, the, the need, the, the real biological need to be with your newborn and for your newborn to be with you is obviously interrupted where Mm -hmm. women, you know, epidural rates in hospitals are upwards of 90%, right? Like it's in some hospitals, it's 99%. So the vast majority, almost all women are, are completely drugged and on fentanyl or morphine and, you know, local anesthetic, it's the epidural cocktail. 
and are actually bound to a bed on their back in the most vulnerable position with a catheter in, you know, going into their bladder, tons of straps and that right there, just that piece of you literally can't get up and walk to your baby. Like again, back to like the brilliant evil of obstetrics, like let's numb, let's numb the mothers. Let's make it so that they can't even fucking move. Let's get them so high that we can do whatever we want to them and their babies. Yep. And have their way with what they want in, in that. And that's what it, that's what it felt like. It was, it was what it was, Margaret. That's what it was. (laughs) It felt horrible. And so oh. that, that whole, that, that situation sticks in my brain. And the cool thing about this is that mm. my second baby, the redemption of that whole thing, like the thing that sticks in my brain about his birth is, you know, after he was born, he's on my chest. And I mean, I have a picture of that and I'm just like, I like, I did, like, I, I did this, <laughs> you know? So it's cool because the, the things that stick to me or stick with me in both mm-hmm. those births are so like just yeah. nightly different to me. So, so after so, all that, <laughs> yeah. So you leave that birth and it sounds like in real time, you know, some of this is bullshit. Oh yes. I was already like, I can't, I know this is not right, but I can't extract myself. And then, yeah. and so this is super interesting. This is actually how I found you guys. So I was like having a, you know, midnight nursing session with my daughter. Thankfully after that, like the bonding was great. We were able to, I mean, literally she was just barnacled to me for the first two years of her life. Um, and she now, yes, and now she's a very happy, she's uh, going to be six in December. She's hmm. super happy, very vibrant. You know, I oh, we became, her- we became moms within one month of each other. Oh, really? Okay. That's so cute. My oh, daughter so will cool. be six in January. Oh, wow. So they're like right around the same age. That is so cool. I had no idea. Um, so yeah, so that, that winter time, like it was so great. Like we were able to, to bond and do all that. So I was sitting on the couch, um, scrolling for, through Facebook as one does. It is 1230 at night. She's not, she's kind of just hanging out and I see an ad for a, a group that I think it was Yolandia had, had run at the time on Facebook. And I saw that and I was like, huh, this is interesting. So I started reading some of her stuff. And I was like, wait, people actually just do this. And I could have skipped this whole charade. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I read some of her stuff. It was very healing for me. Then I found your group on Facebook and I started reading that. I was like, all right, next time we're going to do this totally different. And also in my brain, I was like, I'm also going to wait a very long time, you know, wait a long time, like let myself process. Well, I got pregnant at, you know, 10 months postpartum, right? Oh, snap. And my little daughter. And got pregnant. And the day I found out, I like cried because I was, I was so scared about, oh my goodness, here we go. I'm going to have to figure out what to do this, you know, figure out all of that. And so luckily with him, totally different, like again, totally different experience, low key. I was able to be very in tune with my body. That's also when minerals kind of came into my life in a bigger way, because I realized, you know, for my daughter's pregnancy, uh, I realized some of the things I may have been lacking in some of the advice I may have been following that was incorrect for a pregnant. Mm. Woman. Uh, and I was able to apply a lot of that. And I have a really great second pregnancy, like felt very nourished, felt very strong, just had, I don't know, a totally different attitude about everything as well. Um, and I just 
really wanted to have a totally different experience. Like I didn't want to be poked and prodded. You know, if I wanted to do labs, I would run them on myself because I, I can order them and do them if I wanted to. And I didn't even do that very much because I was like, I feel well, my baby's growing. I can feel my fun, like my fundal height. That was the coolest thing for me um, because I could feel it. Like I'd lay on my back and I could kind of me- like feel, ah, okay, I'm bigger than a couple weeks ago. It was the coolest thing to just be able to, have this low stress bubble that I was in. Um, So, and then I also had, I found kind of in my area, like there's this, there's this kind of underground network of like women who go to births who are there, you know, unlicensed, but they also, I think the one that I actually used, she trained with WAPIO and then she may have been a graduate from your, from your class at some point. Um, But she was really awesome because she was just my like question person, like, Hey, what kind of, like, I want a tub. What do you recommend? What do you recommend? You need something where you can grip it. Like you just can grip that thing. So we got this uh, horse trough type of situation with a liner in it for the bedroom. Um, And I got things ready how I wanted to. I was able to prepare how I wanted to. A very low stress. Like I did not feel stressed like I did. You know, with my daughter, I cried every day through the like literally from week 20 to week week 37 or whenever I was. And could you articulate? like just briefly what why you were crying every day like what was under that so that was I'm very I'm very empathetic too I'm very sensitive so in my mind I was thinking to my child I was thinking I'm failing her because I'm not you know she is probably stressed because of all this stress I'm going under maybe my blood pressure is not good and she's not growing so I was kind of this I was scared that there's going to be something wrong with, you know, wrong with her or that I was going to cause to harm her, which ironically, the stress that I was under (laughs) was causing more of the problem. Like I had the power to be like, no, this is not true. If they're telling me something, but I didn't. So it was really just just so due to your doctor visits, your medwife visits and how they were pathologizing you, putting doubt in your mind, the way that they were speaking to you about you and your pregnancy was resulting in internalized stress, doubt, fear. And, 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 and this is so important because, you know, women are so sensitive and vulnerable. Yes you know, period. And in their pregnancy, oh my God, we're in like a, we're in, in between worlds, you know, we're in such a, uh, just a vulnerable state energetically, physically. And it's like going into what I'm trying to say is how this affects women's mental health. Isn't talked about, right. Like to go into these systems that treat you like shit, talk to you like shit, demean you, doubt you, don't respect you. And of course your mental health suffers, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it crushes your, your ability to make decisions that you feel like are true to what you would actually like and your intentions. And then also I feel like it set me up for feeling like, like in the early motherhood. I mean, what kind of early motherhood journey is that? You're sitting there going, Oh, do they need to eat? I don't know. Um, do what's wrong? Do I need to, you just, your intuition is just shut down. You, your, you know, ability to discern things. It's like they, they nip that they, they start taking that during pregnancy and then it it spits you out (laughs) after in postpartum. And you're like, 
uh, I don't know anything. I don't know what to do. You know, you, you, you shut that side off. So I mean, for- obviously the industry like gyne- gynecology starts doing that well before pregnancy, right? Like oh, yes. your, oh. like our wheel, you know, of assembly line to, to outsource to the medical model, you know, and then in early motherhood after birth trauma sets you up to go to the pediatrician and outsource all your questions to the pharmaceutical companies and the pediatricians that, you know, peddle it and it just on and on it goes. So yeah, I, I do, I do feel like since you have a self-given PhD in preeclampsia, I do (laughs) want to get some of that knowledge on this podcast. Can we just spend a little time there about what you learned and what, um, you know, like give us your, give us like a 10 minute Ted talk of, of yeah. preeclampsia here, because yes. that is going to be so helpful. Yes. I would love to. So preeclampsia, as we know, there's, there's two different categories that they give. There's the eclampsia, which is you are actively having seizures and it is very scary. And it's very rare to have the full blown eclampsia. Pre-eclampsia is a larger category that a lot of women are unintentionally funneled into and kind of categorized in that way that then they can have further interventions done, whether they actually would, you know, want those or even be seeking those out. They kind of get put in that category. There's also a third category that they refer to as HELP syndrome, H-E-L-L-P, which refers to a different type of preeclampsia, but it's more related to high liver enzymes, um, elevated issues with the kidneys, the issues with the kidneys processing the blood, filtering that out. Um, And sometimes people will be categorized as having both of those, you know, preeclampsia and HELP syndrome. Um, But a lot of times they get funneled into that preeclampsia or the pre-preeclampsia like I did. (laughs) So, but one of the things that I learned about this, and this is, it was actually interesting that in my daughter's pregnancy, my first pregnancy, I got exposed to little bits and pieces around, right around that time when they were starting to pressure me about my blood pressure and, you know, oh, it's high in office. We don't care that it's low at home. We, we, we don't trust you. We think you're an idiot, but in our office, it says this. So therefore, you know, I learned not only that it matters in terms of, again, nutrition, making sure you're eating enough food, making sure that you are getting salt. The biggest thing they tell women is who have preeclampsia is that you need to eliminate, you know, need to eat low sodium, right? And you need to, you know, watch your calories and make sure you're not gaining too much weight, right? That's their their little thing that they will say. Um, And what I learned in my research was that Salt is extremely essential and women who have preeclampsia, oftentimes they need even more because it is a stress reaction of the body that is contributing to that nervous system spike when they go on the doctor and it is high or they're at home and it is high. It is a systemic issue with a stress response and it's an issue where the blood volume, because, you know, women are supposed to grow like we're, we're literally making, you know, our, our, a lot more blood when we're pregnant, 40 to 50%, some say within that and more for, you know, multiples. And so we're growing that blood volume. We're nourishing that through the nutrition that we're taking in, especially proteins as well with sodium and other minerals as well, including potassium, which later we'll get into the sodium and potassium ratio, which is like my favorite. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because it affects every cell on your entire body. Uh, but essentially with this, you're growing that blood volume. And if a woman is not eating, they're being shamed about their weight. 
They're having their body mass index written on their little chart with how much you weigh. Um, they're being badgered about that. They're unintentionally not nourishing themselves enough. Plus they're not getting enough salt. What can happen is at a certain level of pregnancy, um, their body will start to go, oh, we actually don't have enough of this blood volume that we really want and need to nourish our child and, and nourish this, this baby. So it will end up, the blood vessels will become more narrow. They can kind of get more narrow because there's not enough blood there. It's expecting more and we don't have enough blood. So it's actually ends up creating this physiological situation where we needed that blood volume. It's not there. So what one of the researchers I like a lot uh, is there's a doctor, Dr. Margaret, I forget what her, she was, she was a, she was an OB in London, um, but she's a doctor actually uh, in Lily Nichols, Real Food for Pregnancy. She cites this. And then in uh, Tom Brewer's work, he cites it as well. She actually found that women who would be in this state, they would be in what they would call a hypovolemic shock where their body's like, we don't have enough blood. It's panicking. And it is trying to compensate for that with hormonal changes, with, with excretion of salt from the body, which then requires more salt. And this, uh, this particular doctor, she found out in, I think it was in London in the fifties, she found out that women who had, um, decrease their salt intake, they actually saw more problems with blood pressure and also fetal growth too. And it all goes back to that blood volume, the restriction being told by your doctor. It's like they set you up to fail with their advice. And it is like that, isn't it? Yeah. And she even found that, um, that women who had four teaspoons, this is a lot of salt. Okay. Women who had preeclampsia symptoms, if they had uh, you know, regular meals, they, you know, maybe they're being fed regular meals. Plus they had over four teaspoons of salt per day. It would spontaneously, their preeclampsia symptoms and pathologies, quote unquote, would go away. Wow. And it just blew, I read that and I was like, so I need to be making sure I'm eating enough, making sure that I'm, you know, getting adequate salt to help support that osmotic pressure, the building of the blood volume. And all that's going to work synergistically because if your blood's well-nourished, you've got enough of it, the baby's going to grow well. Um, there's going to be, you know, your, your blood vessels are not going to narrow because they're like, whoa, we've got to fill the, cause you know, with blood, it's got to fill the entire blood vessel. So if you, you know, if, if it's getting narrower, the pressure will be higher. Um, and if the blood vessel is, you know, like a, like real big and, and dilated it, if you have enough blood to fill that capacity. So it's basically, you want to have, you know, nice blood vessels that are dilated, that are filled with the blood volume and not skinny that are having to compensate and go, Ooh, we don't want to have an embolism. We got to get, we got to get skinnier. We got to get smaller um, um, because people treat preeclampsia. And, and this is where it drives me nuts. And I could go like on and on about this, but the thing that drives me crazy is that the modern system, they are like, well, we don't know what causes preeclampsia. We, we, we just don't know what causes it. It just kind of falls out of the sky on you. Oh, it's the placenta. Totally random. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that kills me is that they'll be like, oh, it's the placenta's fault. You know, the placenta develops wrong. It's the man's sperm. Something's wrong with that. Oh. And placenta, like it's so, it's just dumb. Like this is not like they just are with blinders on. They don't want to know 
the stuff that is actually like profoundly beneficial for women. And then of course, with, with most women, they're restricting all this. When you restrict, you know, how much food you're getting and you're not getting enough protein, your overall nutrient intake goes down overall. So then you're not getting enough potassium, which is also important. You're not getting enough zinc and copper and magnesium. And it's just, yeah, it just ends up being a big mess. And then people are surprised with the diagnosis. Oftentimes preeclampsia is diagnosed, quote unquote, by the medical system. The most common time frame is going to be from week 30 to week 34. Mm-hmm. And that is the time when your blood volume is peaking. It's like peaking, peak time, like all the work that's happened before then, that's like one of the peak times of, of blood volume. And so it's not there, like the blood volume is not there. So then the body starts to respond and then you start and, having- And this that. is, and we're talking about like, air quotes, real preeclampsia here, because then we've also established that then there's this whole, you know, charade game happening around it where women are just like you, you know, it's just, oh, one high BP, you're preeclampsia, you're preeclampsia, you're preeclampsia. Everybody gets a preeclampsia. Everybody gets it. (laughs) It's a great scapegoat. It really is. And of course they're not incentivized to learn about it and educate about it because it's such a good scapegoat. Yes, absolutely. It's per it's perfect because you're stressed going into the doctor's office. Oh, your blood pressure's over this particular mark. Let's get that baby out. Yeah. And so in my first pregnancy, they literally, after the first two or three visits that I went there, they literally marked on my chart. And this, this pissed me off. I was like, how dare you? They wrote on my chart, um, gestational hypertension, it, uh, primary meaning like, oh, you had this before too, as well. And then, you know, management of high risk I'm like, I am 26 years old at the time. I was like, I am 26 years old. I probably eat better than 98% of your patients in this office. And you're going to put that on my chart. And then of course they were, they, they made it hard for me to get my notes. Right. So I could see all this stuff that they're, that they're saying about me on there. It just, it lit a fire under my butt to be like, I'm never, and, and to this day, I've helped women who, they're told by their provider, they're, you know, said all this stuff. And I give them some help on that. The other thing that's not talked about with this, one other thing is the blood pressure itself. Uh, again, I have a problem with a lot of the way they do diagnostics anyway, huge problems. But with this one in particular, I have yet to, in those years that I went to those appointments, see a doctor or a nurse actually take a blood pressure in a proper manner. Mm. They do not have the the general rules for blood pressure. Because again, I have, I literally went down the rabbit hole on this, the rules for it. You need to be sitting at a 90 degree angle with your feet planted on the ground, your arms level out at a 90 degree angle as well. You need to sit there for five minutes Mm -hmm. without talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they need to have the right size cuff for you. So Mm -hmm. if women have, you know, larger bodied women, you use a small cuff on them, they're going to have high blood pressure, which really makes you wonder, right? So Uh they they did none of that. I would oftentimes be asked questions while I had the cuff on Uh and uh, I would, you know, or my feet are dangling. I'm sitting on a thing and my feet are dangling. And my husband was like, they aren't even taking it correctly. How can they even say that this is remotely accurate given, you know, and my husband, even I had a cuff at the time and he brought it home and he put it on himself. 
And he like tensed his arm up really. And he was like, oh, look, 195 over, over 112. This is, this is nonsense. <laughs> like, it's yeah, just preeclampsia. <laughs> yes. He actually made that joke. He was like, well, maybe I have it too. And I should mm-hmm. get checked. So he just, he was starting to see some of that too. Um, but also true eclampsia. If you have true eclampsia or really bad, you know, even if they say you have preeclampsia, if you, if it comes down, if your blood pressure, you go home from that doctor's appointment and you're at home and it's normal, you do not like, you do not have an issue there. Like you don't, if you had the true kind, it would be high. If you're taking it when you're laying on your left side, it'd be high. When you go here, high, when you go there, um, it would actually be not able to, you know, no amount of like relaxation would actually help it. So, and that's rare. That's actually more rare than the fluctuations that people will have. So, yeah, there was a birth I attended as a doula a long time ago where one of the most scary, scariest things I've ever seen. And Mm -hmm. she had seizures Mm -hmm. and grand mal seizures while pushing, um, you know, rushed to the OR had more seizures baby gets, you know, flown to some fancy, you know, um, hospital to be, you know, frozen to prevent mm-hmm. da- brain damage, brain. Oh my God. I can't talk this morning. Brain damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but that story, that woman in hindsight was labeled as essentially missed eclampsia, like that it, that it Just- got missed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but Afterwards, I started researching Cervidil, which she was given. Yes, yes. Which no one tells you one of the side effects to Cervidil is seizures. That is crazy. I did not know that. Wow. No one knows that. Well, wow. That makes sense. Like, also, sorry to be annoying. I'm going to correct you. Primary just means you're a first time mom. Yes. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. That yeah. actually makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean before it just means, um, Perfect. yeah, it was your first okay. baby. Nice. Okay. So thank you for the, the little dive into what is true about preeclampsia. So let's yep. shift into your free birth, that pregnancy, that birth story and, and minerals. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, I got pregnant very soon after 10 month old terrified. Um, but I gradually got reacquainted with, you know, understanding my own intuition, the own ways that I was feeling like I wanted to do things. I would be the first person to like, not, you know, birth in a hospital or birth center. Or like, and if, I don't even know. I, I don't even know. My grandma had all of her babies at the hospital. Um, mm. and you know, every, pretty much everyone did. Although my mom, my mom is a rock star. Okay. She, I'm oldest of eight, right? She had her youngest baby at 47. You want to know how much they, I mean, they pathologize the heck out of that. Oh, you're so old. Oh, you know, I'm 20 years, uh, 20 years older than my youngest sister, 20 or 22. I can't remember. So there's a big guy, like we're bookended. Then there's all boys in there, one other girl, and then a girl in the end. And my mom, my mom, so, and my mom did have hers at the hospital, but she's one where, she never had any, like, she was very much her own person. She never had n- no drugs at all, ever, ever. No, Pitocin, but it's so crazy to me that um, those women who are popping them out, who yeah. have that embodiment still leave. Right. Right. 
Exactly. So she was one who was just like, I, I don't like, she was just very like, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. I'm 47. Thank you very much. You know, leave me alone. <laughs> Basically that yeah. was her, her attitude. So I knew that like, I, and I knew that from my birth, like it had the birthing process. I, I was like, I want to do that somewhere where I'm most comfortable. I'm not comfortable at the hospital. I'm not comfortable at the doctor's office. If I walk in a door, my, my like alarm bells just go off like an office. I was like, mm, I'm not doing that. So, um, so yeah, but that pregnancy was very uneventful. I ate really well. Again, I did my salt. I did my potassium. I took a really good, uh, support for magnesium. I was just intentional about all those areas that I wasn't before because I was so busy being stressed and crying every yeah. day and not eating, you know, but and I was not thinking for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I was letting right. my outsourcing my brain to someone else who didn't yeah. have my best interest in mind or understand, yeah, understand anything about true physiological birth, like no, no clue. Right. Um, so, but yeah, so I, like I said, plugged in my little, my little underground and was like, oh, wow, there's actually other people who are doing this, you know, cause, oh, and people would say, oh, in your state, you know, it's hard because, um, you know, you have to find, so if you want someone to have support, like, and just moral support that is not going to interfere, right. You have to, oh, you know, unlicensed versus licensed for all the midwife stuff. And so I was like, I want to find someone who is understands physiological birth. Maybe she's been through training. Like she, this particular one had been, um, done some training with WAPIO. She was not licensed that actually ended up helping me. Um, and by helping, I mean, doing nothing because I just wanted like a person who was not going to interfere, not going to check, you know, basically just nothing. I just was like, I'm basically going to be doing this and this person's going to be, you know, either on like on the phone or in the living room knitting just out of the way so I can do my thing. Cause I do not do well with, again, that, that like people touching me. And so why and, have someone at all then? Yeah. I decided that for this one, having that out of the hospital, the first time I'd done that, I just needed someone who was like, girl, you're doing this. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the best part of that whole labor, which I'll get to later was, you know, me about to have the baby and her, like, I was like, I can't do it. I was like, you know, she's just watching. She's like in the doorway. And, and I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And they're like, girl, you're doing it. You are doing this. This is happening. And it's just, I, I think back on that. And I'm just like, oh, so I wanted a wise person, support woman who was not going to touch me and not do all that. So, but the cool they thing. Also, about yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I think that it's really redemptive and healing for a woman who first goes through such bullshit care yeah. to then rewrite that with an authentic woman, with a, with a, with a sister, with someone in integrity to, yes. to actually go through the process of, and I'm not saying everyone needs this, but I do think when yeah. women choose it to hire someone and then rewrite that script that like, Yes. You're not crazy. Yes, people do show up in an appropriate way and and yeah. can be the actual support in birth you're looking for. I think there's a lot of healing in yeah. having that. Having that. And for me, I knew for myself that from all the trauma, like of all that prior, like I'll probably feel, and I'm currently pregnant with my third and I'm due in a couple months and I feel totally different this time. Like I'm, I just, I'm on a different plane than last time. I, I, I just the way that I'm thinking about things. So it's really cool even looking back on that and thinking, you know, I was ready. I was ready to take the plunge. I needed like a, a voice in the room that was just, Hey girl, mm -hmm. you got it. 
And totally. that's what she was. So I went into labor the day that I, so I was 40 weeks and five days. And I was so thrilled to get that yeah. far because before I had, I didn't realize how much I mourned not having her in there longer. Like mm-hmm. it was so sad for me to think of her oh. like, she's not ready. And so for this baby, 40 weeks and five days, again, didn't know the gender, didn't know anything. Took my daughter to the park that morning, came back home. I actually had an acupuncture appointment scheduled for that day. And I was driving into the acupuncture appointment and down a little highway and I started having contractions and I was like, uh, I mean, I hadn't really had, you know, a lot of Braxton Hicks yet. I was like, yeah, we'll see. Like no, no contraction action before that. So I got to the acupuncture place. She sticks the needles in and I have more and I'm laying there on the table and I can feel when the contraction happens, I can feel it through the needles that she had. Cause she has uter- like uterus and kidney. Mm-hmm. Like I could feel it through. And I was like, this feels oh, like no. I'm mild. Oh, electrocuted. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this feels like mild electrocution. I don't think uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm laying there. And then also what's really funny is that she told me she could take your pulse, you know, and know if it's a boy or a girl. Right. So she's like, Oh, I definitely, if you want to know, I definitely think it's a girl. And of course I was so mad because I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to need that in my head. Thank you very much. I wanted Ew. to surprise. Wait, she just out. like, she just did that. She just said that. Yeah. She <gasps> just said that. And I was well, like, and a, she's wrong. B. Oh my God. Right. And so I'm laying there and I'm like, my brain is doing, my brain is doing little jumping, like what? So I I, like tuned that out. I was like, okay, that's stupid, but I'm just going to ignore it. So did that drove home and they were kind of coming, you know, they, they're, they were coming and and getting a little more. And then I I got home at like in the afternoon. So it's about six 30. I called my husband who worked about uh, 45 minutes away. And it's so funny because he'd been calling me like every day, how are you doing? You know, he's like real, like, okay, all right, I'm ready. Cause he had turned into like, he's just a rock star. He turned from being, you know, both of us kind of unsure. And in this pregnancy, he was like, I am the man. I am the supportive man. I am here. Let me help you. Like, and everyone, like, even she was like, you, you, you rock. Like, you know, you're just with it. And it's just so funny. Cause it's night and day. It's just night and day. But I'm calling my husband on the phone. And again, he'd been checking on me for days, you know, like, like, hey, how you doing? Like getting the vibes, you know, a couple times a day. And then when I finally tell him, hey, these are like coming pretty, these are coming pretty regularly. I think you might want to start coming home. It's like, okay, I've got a couple things to finish, but I'll, I'll be on my way in a bit. And I'm like, hey, you have been at my like back and call trying to figure out when I'm going <laughs> to, when I'm going to have this baby. And now it's like, oh, it's time. And you're like, I got a couple of things. I'll be there in a little while. <laughs> so anyway, I uh, put on my headphones and I put on, so, so I was a competitive swimmer when I was um, in my teenage years, late, late teens. Um, and so I, I like music that's kind of pump up music. So I literally put on like my pump up songs and I like clean the house. And I did a bunch of stuff. She's like, I was excited. I was just like, I think this is it. I really do think this is it. And then I had a little bit of blood and I was like, all right, okay. I think we, maybe something's happening. Um, so let's see after that, it just kind of started. It was just very, it, it was very gradual. It was very doable compared to the hospital. Yeah. You had Pitocin for days. I know. So I was like, even, you know, when they're getting closer, they're like three minutes apart. I was like, I get a break in between. 
this is awesome. Wow. For real, man. That's such a good, a good thing for women to hear. If your primary birth was an induction, you are in for a treat. Yes. I would love for people to know that if you had Pitocin with a birth and it felt like you're getting hit with a truck, nonstop birth, that is not birth and you can Uh do it. Uh I was literally like, I'm rocking this. I'm doing this. And then I had one contraction come through where I was laying down and it was still kind of like, Ooh, okay. And so at that point I was like, Hey, go get her on the phone. You're the, the woman who's going to support me. I was like, go get her on the phone and kind of tell her the deal. Um, and you know, just like, okay, yeah, keep her going. You know, cause he, he was just unsure too about things, but I literally just did my thing. I basically spent most of my time in our walk-in closet with a birthing ball like I literally a cave I literally went to a cave and then I asked her I was like hey you know when I get really really close or like right after I, I kind of want you around then I don't want you around yeah I don't want anybody around before that um even and I had my mom come as well um and hmm. she was like she took photos like her of mom the, oh yes and, I mean she just standing back there taking I have pictures of right when he is coming out like and right after anyway so she came a little bit later, but literally they were there for maybe, maybe an hour and a half or less. Did you, did you birth your baby in a closet? I did not. <laughs> I probably could have. I, love I want that. you to say yes. Love that closet. I know. I, and so <laughs> it's like this walking light it has clothes on either side and a little window. And I literally just, cl- I closed the thing. I closed the door. I just, mm. I closed it. And I'm like, just in there. And then I have my, my husband come in and kind of be like, Hey, how you doing? You know, do you need anything? Here's the fruit snacks that you picked out. And I like, at, at one point he brought me those fruit snacks and I threw them in his face. I was like, these are disgusting. I can't believe yeah. you don't for me that. And he was like, how dare you? He, went, he was like, I think we're getting close. <laughs> Um, so, but I just kind of did my thing, even when they were very close, you know, two minutes apart or less, I, again, I was already like, I get a break. I get a break. This is so cool. Like I'm actually not feeling anything right now. I can change positions. Okay. Here comes another one. All right. You know, I mean, it really, it's something I think about a lot that it's really, this is a pretty dark comparison, but it's also really accurate. It's like, if you've only known sexual assault to then have like beautiful, respectful, consensual sex is like, oh, oh, this this is is the completely different. Yeah. It's this like, this is what this can be, you know? And that's what I, I was just thinking back to the other, comparing it in my mind, like this is, wow. And so really, and again, I was just, I'm like, everybody else was, I think my, uh, my mom was like, prepping some food for, you know, she's like getting some stuff ready for after I had the baby so she could bring it into me. Um, they're all just hanging out th- those two. Cause that's all who was there. Um, they were in the living room and I was in the back bedroom in the closet, the primary little cave that I made. And then at some point I kind of said, I wanted to get in the pool. And so my husband had that filled up. It was again, that, that little horse trough, like rubber made that I could grip. So really the last 30 minutes of the birth was in the pool, maybe, maybe 40 minutes when I got in. So it was like good timing for that. But really it's just so weird how in those last bits, you're literally like, I've heard you say this before too. You're in between worlds. You're literally like out of it, but you're there. Like, it's just such a trippy, crazy experience. And I got to experience all that because it was very much like I was uninterrupted. No one was like, Hey, I need to check that nothing. And so I'm in there. And I'm, you know, feeling these surges. I mean, it was 
I was really vocalizing them and, and stuff. And she could, they could all hear me out there and they're like, Oh, it's so, so good. You know, my mom was like, Oh yeah, she's getting there, you know? And so I'm in there just rocking it out. And uh, my husband's there. He's kind of in the, he's like, he's, he's around if I need him, but he's kind of stand back. Cause he knows that's kind of what I wanted. Um, so at one point I had a real strong one come through and I felt a little bit like a little bit grunty, a little bit like that. And I look up and she's in the doorway and she's like, you're rocking it. And she said, um, you know, she said, you feeling like you feel, feel a little grunty. You sound like you were grunting. I was like, yeah. And then I threw up <laughs> and I was like, and I literally threw up and I was like, yes, this means I'm getting close. I feel like I can't do it anymore. I know I'm getting close. Um, and I actually think I said, I don't feel like I can do this anymore. Two seconds before he came out. And then, yeah, of course. <laughs> Was like I can't tell you how many second time moms call me that are like friends of mine or whatever. And they call me yeah. and they're like, the baby's not coming down. They're so high. It's definitely stuck. It's just so high. And literally like within 10 minutes, the That's baby will be out. Me. That's literally me. <laughs> yeah. So I was in there and, and then what's really cool is I decided, I was like, you know what? I wonder if I can feel anything in there. And she was like, yeah, why not? You know, you, you see if you feel anything. So I like reach up and I'm like, oh, there's some feels like a water balloon in here. And she was like, great. That's awesome. You do, you know, do what you want to do. What do you want to do? You know, feel like next one you want to um, grunt more or whatever. She, I don't even remember if she said that, but that's like in my brain, I was like, I'm gonna see what happens for this next one. So I felt kind of grunty. Um, and I had the full blown, I know, I don't even know if this is still technically a term, but that like fetal, like the fetal ejection, like where you're not pushing, but it's just happening where mm-hmm. you were like, it's just moving through you. I was not like, okay, because I had coach pushing with my son and yeah. or with my daughter. With your and daughter, it yeah. was like just total wow. This mm-hmm. this baby is coming out. And I and that's when I was a little bit like holding on to the edge of the and I was like, well, that was the trippiest when you know when the head kind of hits those pelvic bones. I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And I remember asking, I was like, I can't, I don't think I could do this. And again, their voice, and that's it just gives me chills because that's exactly what like my mom and this woman. They're in the doorway and they're like, you've got this. I can almost see the head. You've got it. And I just was like, that's what I need. I didn't want someone up in my business, my but God. I wanted to like have that voice in the background. Girl, you got it. And then <laughs> literally again, I, I think it was only head came out 30 seconds later, just the whole body got him up. And I, in my mind, again, I'm thinking, prior to when he came out, when I felt that huge pressure, I was thinking, oh gosh, you know, I know women who push for two hours, for three hours, for four. I was like, oh no, it's going to be a while. Like, and that's what made me panic. See, again, you get this in your head. This is how, like, I've heard this or I've heard that. And it kind of makes you um, second guess maybe what your own body is experiencing. But for me, I was like, oh, it's going to be a while. I don't know if I could do this. And that's why I said, I don't know if I could do this. And then he was literally out. And I have a picture of him that my mom took and he's just on like on my chest. And I mean, the look on my face, I've like, oh, yeah, gosh, of course. Like I literally like my mouth is open as wide as it could be. I'm like, like, and my husband and, and I love this because I actually did one of Wapio's trainings that she did earlier this year. And she talks about how the father is kind of the archangel where he can kind of be the, the supportive person that's behind the mother. And so in that photo, he's like, he's in the background behind he's not like smothering me but he's just peaceful presence behind me and behind the baby and I was just like I love that picture it's my favorite picture because it's just 
All Although this- you are you are making his body look like he was a scarecrow. <laughs> okay, like that. Yes. But basically his arms are kind of around and he's just Yeah, that's beautiful. But it was so sweet. Like it was just and he was so proud of me. I mean, oh, he went yeah. and told all his co-workers you know, and who are, who, you know, they don't understand any of this, but he was like, yeah, she had the baby in the back bedroom. It was awesome. Um, so, so then after that placenta birth, like very, very quick, I don't even remember how long it was, but I didn't even realize, I was just, I was literally so, I was like on cloud nine. I just felt like I was so high. I literally felt like I was like on some kind of a high for several months. Uh-huh. I mean, I was walking around, like telling people about everything uh-huh. and like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. It was just crazy. Like I was on like that total, and I never got that after my daughter. It was kind of, oh, but it was the full blown, full hormonal, all of that good stuff. And Mm. he was very healthy, strong little guy. And then he, and it took me 30 minutes to check, see if it was a boy or a girl. Love that. I hope that it was a boy. The acupuncturist was wrong. I had hoped that he was a boy and he was, and I was so thrilled. I was just, uh, it was great. And the best part is my daughter who was 19 months at the time she was sleeping in the bedroom nearby and she was, you know, she just slept, woke up in the morning. Oh, I have a new brother, you know? Mm-hmm. And we were there in the bed. Immediately we moved right to the bed. My mom brought me some like scrambled eggs and toast and stuff. It was really nice. And I have another picture of my husband and I laying in the bed with the baby um, in the middle. And I just like, yeah, I, I thinking back on that, it's just it's so much fun to think about, but it was just total one, total 180, total mm-hmm. where I was not, um, I never felt like I was being observed or poked apart, like nothing. I no, just told not. what yeah. I wanted to do. And I felt really great about all of that experience. I literally told my husband like three hours later, I was like, I can't wait till we get to do that again. That was so much fun. And he was like, he was like, maybe give yourself a couple <laughs> Like you just had two babies in 19 months. But it's interesting that we actually had a longer gap between my son and the baby that I'm pregnant with now. Um, but but I do think that the design <laughs> is intended to render women wanting more. Yes. Yes. I think that that's I a know. really doesn't mean you're yeah. going to actually do it right. next month. But I think, you know, emerging from an intact birth is like, yeah, you, you have a yes. You know, you don't usually have a no. Right. Right. It was just this. Wow. I can't wait to do that again. Like I could I want to do that over and over. That was just the best. Like I just mm. I always felt really like I felt good. And I was like, I did that. And of course I'm this person, you know, people bringing me meals and I'm like, I tell you about this is so great. And they're probably like, what, you know, cause everyone on like the whole area that we were living in, you know, the house we were renting, the, the joke is now it's like, oh, that's the baby house, you know, cause no one else has had a baby in that house. Right. So I have, a, there's a special place in my heart for that little, that little apartment. Yes. So after I had my son, again, I worked with minerals, like throughout that pregnancy, I was more intentional about it. Uh, I had learned all about preeclampsia and was able to, you know, understand. And that takes a lot. When you have the knowledge, it takes a lot of that fear, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is going to fall out of the sky upon me. Oh, postpartum anxiety is just going to fall upon the, and depression is just going to fall from the sky, which my daughter, after her, I did have more anxiety, didn't have much of the depression. Of course. Yeah. Like you also had four days of Pitocin. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, no wonder, but with my son literally clout like I feel like that's and I was like this is how it's supposed to be I'm supposed to feel uh-huh. really vital very connected to my kids and my husband's there supporting me I was like this is how this is how I should feel so uh-huh. 
Um, again, after I had him, I was really intentional too on, you know, nourishment, nourishment, like lots of warming foods, lots of things that were going to be again, rich in minerals, because with minerals for women who are pregnant and even women who are postpartum, it's so important because every pregnancy, you're going to have about 10%. They, they estimate of your mineral stores, your body's mineral stores, which are going to be in your bones, in your tissue. Um, you're going to have about 10% of that is, you know, your baby is getting. And interestingly in the third trimester, there's a certain point where your body is actually going to mobilize these metals and will bring them to the baby. And I've actually seen that happen because I do the testing, um, the hair and tissue mineral analysis, where you can see the shifts in the, the hair tissue levels, which represent that cellular, you know, they give us a snapshot of the cell blueprint of what's going on. And I've actually seen that on paper, like seeing that happening in real time, at least from what we can observe of it. And it's just fascinating, you know, zinc and copper, it's all mobilized magnesium's brought in iron it's all going to be brought and kind of downloaded to the baby so you start life with this mineral store that you've been given from your mom and even i believe that you can also get some from the father as well because they're obviously contributing genetic material and the genes and the proteins that make up of those uh you know there's minerals that play a role there as well so you're getting this bequeathment of uh this trust fund of minerals that you get and so for, for me, you know, who knows what I started out with, but I was like, I want to make sure that for my children and even through breastfeeding that I am supporting that and that I am replenishing myself so I can be my most vital and have my most energy to, you know, give my time to these areas that need to be. So um, including things like, again, the salt. So for example, people will say, oh, salt's bad, you know, it's not good. And again, in pregnancy, we already know that. But with salt, if you can get something that is, you know, has a lot of like minerals in it, like it's actual sea salt, that's not what you get, you know, on the table at a restaurant, you can get something that actually has quite a bit of other minerals in it, like magnesium and boron uh, and even zinc and some of these other minerals. You can actually get additional minerals just by salting the food, just by adding a pinch to your water that adds more, uh, more minerals to what you're taking in, which then supports hydration um, and the health of the cells because sodium and sea salt uh, they really, this, this mineral sodium has to be balanced by potassium. And so this is one of my biggest things that I think is most important. Like people leave with something there, there's a couple things that this is one of them is the balance between sodium and potassium. So we need in our cells to have a good balance of these two, because they are very important for uh, the sodium and potassium pump that's at that cell. So you have all these trillions and trillions of cells. They're like little um, analogous to like little batteries and the minerals ionize the liquid that's there and cause it to conduct energy. And then we need a certain balance of sodium and potassium to be able to bring out waste and bring in nutrients through the cell. And of course, that's very important. We want to make sure we have a balance of that. A lot of people will have an imbalance where they have more sodium coming in, but they're not getting enough potassium. Most of these electrolyte mixes that are out there are mostly sodium and tiny little bit of magnesium, tiny little bit of potassium. They're not actually a good mix of that. And so for people who, you know, want to take home, you know, getting sodium is important, like getting, you know, at least maybe three quarters to a teaspoon of salt per day, like spread throughout the day. There's actually differ, different, you know, ranges by trimester too, because that blood volume, you know, you can increase. If someone's craving salt, there's a reason. There's a reason you're craving salt. Like 
It's because you need that for your adrenal glands, for all these other areas. So potassium is the perfect pair to that because it helps us balance out the sodium. And it also performs different functions in the cells that are going to help with the energetic potential of the cell. But most people get more sodium and not enough potassium. So for women, especially, I feel like in pregnancy, I'll have women where they feel like they have less aches and pains when they have a good balance of potassium in there because potassium is very relaxing mineral too, similar to magnesium, but people can get that really. And there's a lot of whole foods that people can get it in. So things like coconut water, things like potatoes, um, squashes, like, you know, especially the time of year when it is fall, um, using squashes in the summer, lots of these fresh fruits that are just really ripe and delicious. Those are going to have higher amounts of potassium and including that in with the sodium can be so helpful for people to make sure that they're actually getting a balance because we actually need around two to three times more potassium than we do sodium in terms of what we're getting in. Uh, in, you know, how much, how many milligrams. So um, that's really important because I feel like if people can get that nailed down, I mean, if your cells work better and they can bring in, bring in nutrients and bring out waste better then you know, everything else in the body, because the cells make up the tissues that make up the organs that make up the body system, then everything can function better. Uh So Um, but also for women too, in terms of really nutrient dense foods. So we know, of course, anything that is, you know, actual whole food is going to be wonderful. Um, things like seafood will, uh, seafood. And even I like to call seafood, the organ meat of this, of the ocean, because they have all of these nutrients and minerals like iodine, selenium, zinc, uh, copper. They also have uh, B vitamins as well. There's certain ones that have more of those that are very energizing. So including things like that, of course, we know organ meats, ancestrally people would eat those along with the other parts of the meat now we just eat the white chicken breast and we throw away the chicken liver and anything else there um we just toss that aside because we don't know what to do with it but back then they would be sprinkling in these organ meats with the rest of the animal that they'd be consuming um and then of course eggs are really wonderful they have a lot of nutrients in them i personally like pregnant women to have, you know, like multiple eggs per day, especially if they crave them or they really like them. Um, but those are some of the ones too, that I like to see people incorporating, uh, in terms of getting some higher density, you know, higher nutrient density, um, into their, into what they're eating during pregnancy or postpartum, because it really does matter for your energy and your ability to detoxify, uh, as well. So. So what are some good sources for magnesium, zinc, copper? Yes. So for magnesium, this is one where you can get it from food. So you can get it in things, actually cocoa powder, cacao powder has quite a bit of magnesium and it also has copper. It actually has a balance of those two. So interestingly, women who will crave it around the time of their cycle, you're looking for magnesium and copper. Like you're, you're seeking that out. Um, and then there are a lot of like dark leafy greens when they're cooked. Well, magnesium is going to be, uh, in those as well. And it can also be found in certain salts. So there's certain salts that'll have higher amounts of magnesium. Um, it'll say on the label, you know, the percentage of, you know, I don't believe in the whole daily value thing because we're all so unique, but it will have more of that magnesium in it too. And then even, uh, using things like, uh, certain fruits that have a higher content, like a higher water content will oftentimes have little bits of trace minerals. It will even have phosphorus in it with a little bit of magnesium and potassium. And you said copper was another one that, uh, that you wanted to have info on. So copper is one where, um, oysters actually have quite a bit. And my hack for people 
for, for eating oysters is you get a, a can of the smoked oysters and you chop them up. You drain them of the oil because they're in olive oil. You chop them up and you can add them to meatloaf. You can add them to burgers. You add enough seasoning in there. You're never going to know they're in there and you're getting extra copper. Oysters also have zinc in them too. So that's like one of those ones where it's- But like, do I need to eat the oysters every day, week, or month? Like You can eat them a couple times. Yes. So usually my recommendation for oysters is a couple times a week, like even twice a week, mixed in with everything else. A week to eat oysters? (laughs) Not necessarily fresh though. I know, not necessarily fresh. Yeah, you're saying sprinkle them in. It's harder. But yeah, yeah, or or, uh, rather raw is harder too. Now beef is another one that's high in copper. Mushrooms are actually high in copper too. Hmm. Lentils, spinach, those type of legumes, they're going to be higher in copper. And then zinc. So really uh, protein, like complete animal proteins are a really good source of zinc too. Oysters are, but also eggs. Lamb is especially high in zinc. It's one of those where it tends to be higher in that um, than others. But I really like to have people kind of, you get that, get just a variety of those, those more dense foods in there to really support. Was there any other besides the zinc? uh, zinc, copper, and magnesium, or was that? No, but I, I did want to ask you what you think about raw milk. Oh, love raw milk. I drink so much milk right now. (laughs) And, and can you kind of just quickly break down why and like why we would never drink pasteurized milk? Yes. So there's a big, there's debates on that raw pasteurized for me, the, you know, when you pasteurize something, you're denaturing a lot of what's in there. You're denaturing the protein, you're denaturing the enzymes that even help you digest milk, which is just so dumb. It's so dumb. I know. So (laughs) it's like, we break those down and then it's just terrible. So, and also there's evidence too, that when you pasteurize, it decreases the bioavailability of some things like the retinol, the vitamin A that it has in there. You just, Uh you lose some nutrition Uh and all for convenience. So the, the companies can ship them around and not have to worry about them spoiling. And then they homogenize Uh it, which is a whole Uh other problem, which then is going to make it, you know, those fat globules be evenly dispersed just because people don't want to shake their milk. Right. Like just because they don't want to have to go shake the cream in. Oh, it's, I can't be bothered. I must destroy the milk. (laughs) Well, and we're, we're programmed to think that's gross and to be afraid of it. Like, ooh, this has chunks of cream in it. How dare this? So yeah, and then they buy the whipping cream and the half and half. So so okay. So then what? So raw milk. Why is that good for us? What's in it? And then we can close with that. Raw milk is just it's kind of a superfood. Like because of the it has magnesium, it has calcium, it has phosphorus, it has retinol, it has uh, other like smaller nutrients. It even has iodine. Like it actually has iodine content because whatever that cow's eating, it, they have this magical ability to transmutate some of that into the milk. So you're getting all of these nutrients. You're also getting fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A in there. Um, I love it. I think for pregnant women, it's like such a nourishing food. I do a lot of, I, I joke, I'm the dairy queen. Like I literally, I love it. And cheese yeah, as too. well raw cheese. Like I'm just all about it. So if people mm-hmm. can find that locally, um, it takes some digging, like it takes to find a network of people who are supportive of birth choices of all different kinds. You have to, you know, do a little digging to find a source for it, but it is so but there's like Facebook groups now that help yeah. you source it. There's websites mm-hmm. and, you know, pet stores will sell it and say not for human, yes, consumption. not for human consumption, yeah. okay. say on label. but it's, yeah. and also the calcium, like one little note on calcium, calcium is a calming mineral. 
So it's one of these where it works with magnesium. It's so calming to your body. It's calming to your nervous system. If you have too little calcium in your tissues, your nervous system is going to be more tipped in the direction of fight or flight. Hmm. So oftentimes for people, again, what do we do? Don't eat dairy. It's bad. Uh, don't eat, you know, anything that has too much fat, no fat. And it's just like, no. So it's just so nourishing and the calcium is so calming. And I think for women in pregnancy, it's great to have more calming elements like calcium in there as well. So it's just a beautiful food and I personally love it and my kids drink it and we all, we all enjoy it. So yeah, it's a great food. Love it. Okay, cool. Thank you. That was so fun. Your joy is contagious. Oh, thank you. So excited so for <laughs> this baby and your next story. And thank let's you. put you on the spot. Do you want to come to MRF? Oh man, when is it? Next it's year? Over the solstice in June. So you'll totally June. have a little six okay, month old. Okay, I have a little baby. I need to. I need to try to come because it's not too far. Oh, from everyone me. comes with their babies. <laughs> I really like their babies. <laughs> It's so cool. It's like a baby festival. Uh, that sounds like the best. I think I need to come. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you should present. You should do a workshop on minerals. That'd be so much fun. I would yeah. love because yeah, it's, it. yeah, it's an area that people really need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just taking well, it's so away. like hot right now. We need, you know, yeah. women are really curious about it. So we need good teachers. Yeah. And and most of the guys who are louder or the people who are loudest about it are guys. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. We need to. I don't want to learn from men. I just don't. No. We need a feminine no. approach to this. And the the two that I, yeah, the two loudest voices are. Yeah. Anyway, it's terrible. There's like some that are really loud about it. And I'm like, just go away, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> good to learn feminine, from you. We need a feminine, uh, a feminine approach and that it respects women because women are not men and men are not like, no. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> All right. How can women find you if they want to learn more about your work? Yeah. So I have, I post a lot on my Instagram page, which is underscore muscles and motherhood, just spelled all out. Um, I do have a website. I have a, I actually have some resources there in terms of getting in more minerals, uh, in like beverages. So having your mineral rich elixirs that you can have. So I have an ebook on that. Uh, but those are my main avenues, my website, and then my Instagram page right now. So beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. hope you enjoyed the show today. You can support this podcast by donating to it on freebirthsociety.com and leaving an awesome review on whatever platform you listen on. The more reviews, the more visibility the show gets. So let's spread the word of sovereign birth. We've always got a lot going on at Free Birth Society, and you can find out about all of it at freebirthsociety.com, at freebirthsociety on Instagram, and opt in to my newsletter below in the show notes. We offer courses on free birth, authentic midwifery, and the blood mysteries, as well as one-on-one coaching, in-person retreats, and of course, our annual women's festival. Our exclusive vetted private membership is definitely something to check out if you're looking for a community of wise sisters. Together we rise. We must speak our stories, claim our lives, and support one another. This is the living revolution, and I am so grateful to be in it with all of you. I'll leave you with our epic Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom.
wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored, eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your we choose love, everything with intention, death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the stars, conscious 